the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. Serving the business of defence. With Grant McHeron. Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. This episode I'll be chatting with Andrew Belmax, CEO, and Noel DeWart, GM Defence at Noetic. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hey, welcome. Thank you. Okay, so let's get straight into the show. And uh, the first question is, can you please give us a quick summary of Noetic and the work you perform with the Australian Defence Force and other military clients? Noetic is the advisory and consulting services arm of the Atura Group, and we've provided a broad range of professional services to Defence now for over 20 years. And that pretty much spans much of all of the services and groups. What Noetic does is to help our clients within Defence simplify, optimise and modernise their business. Importantly, our work has impact, it generally solves a problem, it may change things, but it helps our clients run a better business. Most importantly, our work delivers a pragmatic and practical solution that's implementable and that this solution is based on a strong foundation of the latest thinking backed with real-world experience. So look, at Noetics Work, we're working across several critical sovereign industry areas, Um, missile defence, guided weapons, space, learning and development is uh, another area. And uh, importantly, we're looking into futures and experimentations. We support the Joint Experimentation Directorate. And one of the bonuses that we have is because we're working in these really important and sovereign areas, we're actually able to take the information that we get in one area, specifically in experimentation, and make sure that the right information that's needed um, is able to be shared in other parts of the defence organisation. As you'd be aware, some people, if you're posting, you're in uniform, sometimes you're constrained in your ability to reach across the organisation, whereas we find that because we are in so many, such a diverse group of areas, we can ensure that that information is being shared. And equally in you know, learning and development space, we've been able to bring the expertise that's resident outside in academia, um, critical areas within defence and expanded in such a way that everybody wins from the kind of uh, work we're actually able to put on the table. Well, thanks for that overview. That's that's good information to have. So can you give us what your views are on the support that industry can provide to defence? Um, if I jump in first there, thanks. It's Look, defence is recognised industry as the ninth FIC. You know, so it's not just about manufacturing and sustainment. Industry is a, a key part of that workforce mix that uh, defence requires to deliver its mission. It is really about that broader um, defence ecosystem. Look, at a great example of an industry partnership that Noel just spoke about is um, Noetic's provision of defence's joint experimentation capability since about 2015. Um And just recently, um, our staff, together with both uniformed and the public service staff, received a VCDF commendation. That commendation recognised the exceptional collaborative efforts of an integrated and multidisciplinary team drawn from across defence and industry, specifically in the development of the 2021 Defence Workforce Group's mission. 
Now, this exceptional collaboration and coordination achieved government approval to grow Defence's permanent workforce by over 22% and importantly identified those areas requiring skills to deliver and operate new and enhanced submarines, ships, weapon systems, crewed and autonomous aircraft and indeed cyber capabilities. So that collaboration between industry and defence provides increased confidence in force design and workforce planning um, that really helps to deliver the capability requirements that are critical for the defence of Australia and our national interests. Look, I think it's worth also looking into the fact that, I mean, as your listeners would all know, at present there is a significant skilled workforce challenge across not just defence, but the nation writ large. In the case of defence industry, such as professional service organisations, there's a pool of experience and expertise that can actually be harnessed to tackle those important tasks that require deeper thinking, challenging difficult problems in a timely manner. Defence can actually identify a need, sort a solution in a way that's efficient, effective and sometimes different to what they would have otherwise thought. The industry partner can then actually move on at task completion to the next problem and you know, that part of the defence organisation they were supporting isn't burdened with having them staying around and needing to manage them on you know, that ongoing overhead. So it's really important to be able to bring a, a focused and skilled capability to bear. Defence uses that mindset in its operations every day. So if we just take that um, mindset and share it across into the workforce space, then I think we've got a huge opportunity. And as I said, it's not just defence, but that expertise can actually share more broadly and we've actually been able to do that uh, very successfully taking some of the skill sets from the defence arena more broadly. That's really interesting that you've just mentioned the surge ability. It's a, it's a major factor of dealing with defence. Uh, something that we're also seeing with defence is that a number of items seem to be being pushed below the line. For instance, we've got the defence maintenance contract. Uh, there's the major service provider models. It seems that defence more and more are looking to push things below the line so that they can get on with other tasks. Are you seeing that in, the, in new approaches from defence at the moment? So it's a really interesting question and a, and a great observation of some of the perceptions about what is happening around workforce. And it's important to remember that a lot of the decisions that have been taken in, in examples, like uh, the Hawk example of you know, Power by the Hour is really good, where it's what is the best way for the nation to deliver this effect? And there are days where doing it immediately and via a below-the-line supplier means that defence can focus resources into a more operational um, focused area. The challenge, of course, is finding the right balance because a lot of those units or capabilities are actually the enablers. They're the areas where defence grows capability. It's where they actually develop the expertise, whether it be in a supervisory role or in a uh, even in technical skills. And so we need to make sure that you have the right balance between both of those models. And I think what's really important is that no one model is perfect for every opportunity at every time. You need to be prepared to be flexible. You need to be prepared to look to what's going on around you and actually make sure that what you've been bringing on is going to deliver the desired effect. If we go into an area of high operational tempo, or a period, I should say, of high operational tempo, sometimes those 
contracted support solutions may not deliver the operational effect that the Commonwealth requires. So making sure you have a appropriate balance and the appropriate reachback is absolutely critical. The other part that's really important in that model is where do those people come from? So where does the expertise required to fill these extra positions, extra government positions come from? And the answer is it comes from those people who've developed and grown through their experience within the defence or other parts of government. So it's not that you cease to be a part, and that goes to the answer to my earlier question, that defence ecosystem, the government ecosystem, the workforce ecosystem, is pulling people from a variety of areas from a common pool. And we need to make sure that that common pool is actually used for the best outcome. I'll just add to what Noel was saying. I think that it goes back to that point that um, there is um, a great deal of talent um, out in the workforce that defence can draw upon um, that have, brings that you know, lived experience um, to assist in dealing with some of these particular challenges of, um, you know, it might be that uh, there's a limitation on numbers, uh, it could be that um, a, a time imperative, um, and this is where the industry is able to play a really vital role in supporting uh, defence achieving its outcomes. But as Noel has mentioned, it's about a considered approach and understanding where that appropriate investment is and how you balance that against um, the particular um, other operational requirements that may limit the use of industry. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that answer. That was that was really, really insightful. And you've mentioned veterans a few times in there. So what are your recommendations for industry engaging with veterans and for guiding them to success in the corporate world, which is really quite a different environment to being within defence? Look, it's a great question. Um, so the corporate environment in terms of operating within corporate environment, um, you know, people that leave defence um, will soon need to come to grips with that it is slightly different but the work that they're doing still de contributes to um, a defence outcome if you like. Um, so as, a, as such they're relatively comfortable in those roles um, and my advice really to veterans is to understand that they actually have a particular value that they can bring back to defence and they can continue to contribute by being involved in industry and defence industry writ large. Um, you know, for um, defence and um, other areas, it's that realisation that uh, you know, veterans um, have formed a great deal of um, experience that's steeped in practicality uh, over many years. And importantly, that's real-world experience. Um, they have also undertaken and understand the value of continuous education and both professional and personal development. Um, they also generally have well-developed planning and organisational skills and are highly reliable in delivering outcomes against deadlines. Um, lastly, they have um, strong leadership qualities that really can contribute to any particular corporate organisation. So veterans bring a great deal, I believe, not just to industry, but can contribute back to defence. Uh, 
I think Andrew's made some really good points about the strengths that veterans can bring. And it's there's when you talk about industry and veterans, there's it's a two-way street. We've got industry is also about value adding to the veteran for all of those skills that they've gained over their years in service. There's also areas where they can be refined and developed and applied to new opportunities. So the people who do want to leave um, defence or who are leaving for a variety of reasons um, are capable and driven. You know, one challenge is they have that sometimes they are narrower in their focus and in and their development. And so we have an op obligation to actually help them move forward and utilise their experience, expertise and adapt it to a new environment. And examples include working closely with a, a significantly more diverse workforce. That actually means both sides get benefit. Um, there's exposure to new ideas, approaches, costs of consideration of financial and workforce management, accountability, etc. And of course, those alternate leadership and management models. Not everyone who um, you will meet after you leave defence is going to necessarily understand or appreciate the very direct leadership styles that sometimes are applied in defence. And so it's great rounding for us to look at it and actually also to make sure you understand those various uh, particular nuances of, of managing the finance components when you get out. So it is a two-way street where we can both develop, use the skills of the veteran, but also develop them even further to become something more than they were before. I have uh, spoken to a number of veterans who have said, especially from people who got out in the 60s and 70s, that their big tra biggest transition was that they didn't have to say, sir, yes, sir, uh, to when anyone spoke to them about stuff. Uh, that's exactly right. You know, and industry can actually encourage and empower the veterans you know, to provide those alternative views and challenging paradigms. Yeah, seeing them grow, it's like, oh, I have to do that. I recall a story from someone who said they were talking to a veteran who was on their way out of defence and they were still serving, but they were wearing their suit and tie because they felt, right, I'm going for an interview. I'm having a, it was actually an appointment. I'm wearing my suit and tie. And partway through the conversation, the, the veteran starts taking off the suit or takes off the jacket, takes off the tie. And, and of course, the person goes, what's going on? They went, I've just realised I don't actually have to do that anymore. <laughs> and it was a, for them, it was a very physical um, realisation of the change, very emotional, very physical. And I think everybody who's leaving any organisation after a significant period of time, especially one that is so encompassing as defence, it is a big transition and there will be times where you know, they have to literally take that tie off and understand their new environment. Oh, that's definitely the case, and uh, that's a great story. <laughs> I enjoyed hearing that one. So we're going to shift gears just a tad. We've uh, talked a couple of times about benefits that industry and, and so on can bring to defence. Let's drill down a little and talk about what are the benefits that a professional services firm, such as Noetic, can provide to defence. Look, uh, continuing the theme there, um, one of the things is that it provides um, defence the opportunity to draw on some of that experience and skills that they value that they don't actually have room for any longer in terms of being in uniform. Um, so the perfect place for a lot of people to transition from organisations such as Defence but more broadly the public service are to professional services firms where they can still continue to contribute 
And that's a really important point because there's been a long investment by, say, Defence, 20 to 30 years in the professional development and somebody has reached their particular retirement age or um, their, um, their, 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 the rank level at which they'll exit, but they've got all that experience they can continue to contribute and they're motivated to do so. So one of the big um, uh, benefits is um, that you know, we're able to bring um, that experience back to contribute to the organisation uh, when the organisation can't necessarily retain those uh, that experience. Um, a few other benefits are the longevity and experience of working in defence. Now, we've been at this for 21 years. So we actually have lived experience not only of, um, you know, having come from a defence background, but then continuing to contribute for a significant period of time. And Noel has pointed to a, to a range of things that uh, we have been involved with uh, or are involved with currently. But, you know, we, we've done, you know, significant undertakings that have value added to defence. And, and that's an important point. Um, Organisations that provide professional services and are often able to join the dots from a range of activities that they undertake across the defence enterprise and indeed broader government. So they can bring what may be working well in other areas and bring that experience and knowledge to bear in the areas that they're working in. And, and that's, a, that's an important point. Um, like any commercial organisation, um, we're paid in the professional services world to deliver an outcome. So there is a particular level of quality that's expected within that outcome and that's what you pay for rather than people just occupying a seat. So professional services firms um, such as Noetic um, provide what we believe a, uh, you know, a value proposition to defence in that regard. And I'd really like to reinforce and echo Andrew's points. We can bring an enormous amount of experience and expertise to bear on a problem, almost any problem. And it means differing views, ideas, innovation. And some of the areas where we're involved in now, whether it be in guided weapons or in you know, working with Defence Science and Technology Group in their emerging disruptive technology, we actually bring something different at, while we're doing our work there, supporting an activity such as a joint experiment, that enables other people within defence, as we've talked about earlier, to, to go about doing other activities while we make sure they have success. And if I can give a, a unique example where we can give a, a, a blended or a tempered outcome, we have design team and our design team have a very different outlook on the way the world works. It's not a an outlook that would commonly be accepted as, well, it's not the norm within defence. And so when we go into doing an emerging or disruptive technology event and we bring someone in who's got a different way of looking at things, we're able to actually take a raft of different people into directions they didn't know they could go and deliver solutions that they wouldn't have otherwise got to in the same time frame. At a recent event, we had a number of scientists, public servants, military people in the room and now we're running through the activity and the eyes of each of them were as big as dinner plates as they realised the problems that they were facing and the others and it was, I'm comfortably in one half but not the other and our design 
team through the activity we did brought them together and we came up with some absolutely fantastic solutions to help you know, Defence Science and Technology Group work out what are these emerging technologies that they need to focus on moving forward. If it was just uniform people in the room, they probably wouldn't have got to that same outcome, certainly not in the same time frame. Yeah, so bringing together all those perspectives and within your team and bringing the external people together to to make it all happen and uh, come up with new solutions. That does raise the question though and it's we touched on it very briefly before and it's a it's a major concern for everyone across all industries at the moment. And that, so how are you recruiting and retaining staff for Noetic, especially in this challenging employment market? Look, it's a great question. And I, I fundamentally, it really comes down to that sort of employer value proposition to um, those staff that you're both looking to recruit, but also to retain. Um, look, fundamentally, um, we, we look at the fact that um, we need to um, be able to provide them a great work environment uh, where they're valued where we can offer them that work-life flexibility, we can support their growth, we can embrace their great ideas. And indeed, um, when, they, when they join an organisation like ours, they're joining great people. So they, they essentially um, lever off one another. But there's also the other side in terms of what they do and um, the, the commitment of a company like ours towards delivering um, really good solutions that help our clients, um, that we are doing things that make a difference and in some cases make a big difference, contributing to uh, the defence of Australia uh, or more broadly, you know, to you know, Australian society. And people really value that because they can see that their efforts within this work environment um, make a difference. And it's, look, we're, we're building a team. And of course, as you're building a team, you, you, we put a lot of value in our own people finding the people they want to work with in their team. People who fit our model, people who have similar values, people who are driven to achieve the same outcomes. So we find that our, our own staff will look to people they meet and say, I'd really like to work with that person and they talk about it and it encourages people. Equally, we get a lot of our clients who will see the work we do, see the way we treat our people, see the way we approach the task and actually go, hey, look, when my time's done, I really wouldn't mind having a chat about what's life like on the outside, what's it like in the company. And so through our success in a professional approach, it actually is encouraging us to, or providing us an opportunity to find people who both share those values, see a shared vision for success and want to come and talk to us and join the team. But I think equally, because we're trying very hard to make sure we're contributing to the right space, what we would believe is the right space, there are people who want to join us so they can do exactly that. And because we do have a number of veterans, people who are, you know, I'll use the term broken, they, a lot of people go, oh, that person's got a few challenges. We are willing to take them on because we've all lived that experience. We're trying to make sure that they will actually be able to be gainfully employed moving forward. Some of our people may not fit in defence in a uniform capacity, may not fit in the APS for a number of reasons they still actively want to contribute 
to that defence environment. And so we're not worried about age or medical, etc. We worry about the experience they have in their brain and their ability to fit in the team. And so yeah, our value proposition is a mechanism by which we attract and retain people. And I think it's a, it's a pretty good model so far. <laughs> yeah, if you're able to attract and um, sorry, if you're able to attract and retain staff in these times, then you are definitely doing something right. And it's yeah, that sounds like a good approach. So we're talking about staff and working with people from around the world, and quite often a number of uh, companies will will utilize an offshore group or things like that to help, especially in surge times. But of course, defense is rather different in that respect. And it's caused a couple of stumbles for a number of major players who came into the defense world and didn't realize it. So how do you accommodate defense's requirement for security clearances? Because that can limit the ability to utilize talented individuals who may not have citizenship. That's spot on. Um, generally, we, we do look to get people that um, are Australian citizens, and we have a we have a mechanism in place that we get everybody cleared to NV1, NV2 levels. Um, people who through this clearance process as well, we, you know, we get them to undertake open source work. So there are opportunities for people who may not be Australian citizens to continue to contribute, but um, by and large, you know, there there is a there is a requirement to have. Um, uh, people that are Australian citizens, and certainly that is the focus of um, our recruitment efforts. So I'd like to highlight, though, that you know, Australia is a you – know, we've got some incredibly – um, capable people, but there's also some amazing people all around the planet who we've aligned with, who are our allies, and we've had the absolute pleasure of uh, where a person has gone overseas, met someone, and then decided that uh, they should uh, fall in love, get married, and come back home. And so, when that person leaves their their country, whether it be somewhere in Europe, the UK, or the US, um, they bring their partner with them. And I'll, I'll give you an example. We've got a a chap working for us who's ex-US military and he is absolutely exceptional and when we brought him on he he was, had gone through the citizenship process did not have a clearance and where the way I see it this person had huge potential there are things that he could bring if I truly value that diversity and other approaches that we talked about earlier we really needed to get him on board so we've worked with him came up with an agreement to to start continue the process use him on those things that we can until his clearance is issued and you know sure enough he's gone through got the baseline we're awaiting for the next level which should come any moment but let me tell you this investment in the future in this individual has been absolutely fantastic and he has been repaying us in spades it is an, an exact an exceptional example of how paying it forward actually becomes really valuable to us and as a result his loyalty to us and the company and the kind of things he can bring we wouldn't get anywhere else so I'm I think there are means by which you can do this sometimes you just have to look a little bit further than just tomorrow okay so you just mentioned there um, having some people working who don't necessarily have the clearances yet or you know, may take a while to get them, things like that. How do you go about compartmentalizing within your organization because they're not able to work on the projects that may be just common discussions for everyone else? Is how, What processes or procedures do you use internally to help so with that? Can I, I'll start by saying, for those of you 
who are listening and anyone who's been involved in for a, a period of time, almost everything in defence now is compartmentalised and certainly the higher you go up the, the chain and certainly in the classification space, the more compartmentalised you are in your day-to-day -day operation. Every day you go home, you have to compartmentalise those things that you, you tackle during the day. So I absolutely agree that it's a it's a really good question, how do you do it? And the answer is, we just do it. It's it's the way you do things. You, you, you live that dream every day. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to be flippant about something that's as critical and as important as security. We are very careful then to make sure those people are not exposed to um, the information that we do not wish them to be. We do have lockout procedures on our systems to prevent them accessing. So we have put in place the, the normal and expected safeguards but they equally understand the importance of the clearance. They equally understand the importance of playing by the rules until such time as it comes through and nobody wants to jeopardise that. Not us, not them, not anyone. A great example is um, one of our um, members of our creative design team. Um, and indeed we were doing some work in the intelligence space within defence. Um, but where they were able to really add value uh, and we were upfront that they didn't have clearance, was to actually design the uh, interventions that we were undertaking that elicited the information that we needed to deliver the outcome. So they can still contribute by being able to help in a particular way that delivers the, the, the outcome of the project um, but doesn't necessarily need to expose them to uh, the security uh, of the information. Well, gentlemen, that's been a great discussion. I think that's a very good point to wrap this up at. Do you have anything final that you'd like to say while you've got the microphones? No, just to thank you for the opportunity to um, talk about um, the, a professional services firm um, and its contribution to defence. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And uh, from my view, transitioning from defence was challenging. But I've found that um, you have a, almost a new home surrounded by people who are like-minded and when you walk back into those defence halls to talk to people, you're actually welcomed because you're actually delivering capability that they need and they bring a different approach. So it's a fantastic uh, new journey, new career and thank you very much for the opportunity to share some of our experiences with you. Well, thank you, Andrew and Noel. And of course, thanks also to everyone for listening once again. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode, you can follow this podcast in your favorite podcatcher to ensure you get every episode as they're released. Meanwhile, thanks for tuning in and we'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative episode. The ADM podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Australian Defence Magazine, a Yaffa media title. The views of the people appearing on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Australian Defence Magazine, the Department of Defence or the guest's employer. If you wish to use any of the audio in this podcast, please contact Australian Defence Magazine via their website, australiandefence.com.au or via email at defmag at yaffa.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.